0: This, this morning, is about us. Ever so often, we as Christians need to be told about us because so many times we don't have a good idea of who us is. Really. God brought to my mind the words of a song on verse 13. Page 13 of the big book. Come thy fount of every blessing. See what that says? Jesus come to us because you're the fountain where everything good comes from. Our Bible says that all good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. So you who give us those good things, how about coming to us? But the third verse says this, O to grace now, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. That word constrained being it's a necessity that we have to be understanding of how much of a debt we have to Jesus because of everything He's done for us. It's necessary that we understand this, that He's given us so many things that we don't deserve. Let Thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. He says, We got a wandering heart. And the writer of the song, Ask Jesus to tie our hearts to Him like with a cord or a rope so we won't wander around everywhere. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Now that's the part that we don't often think about. We're prone to wander away from Jesus. I mean, we do it just by looking around at the world. Satan doesn't have to work too hard for most of us to get us distracted away from thinking about Jesus and looking at something cool in the world. Prone to leave the God I love. We're like that. You know, every writer, God said that we're, he made us out of dust, and when we die, we'll turn back to dust. And every New Testament writer, at least I know, that I've been able to find, makes the point of saying somewhere in their book, their letters, that they're dust. I'm reminded of the little boy who was down on his knees looking under his bed. And his mama came along and said, what are you doing down there? He said, my ball went under the bed and I'm looking to see if I can find it. She said, well, do you see it? He said, no. But there's a lot of dust under here. And he said, my Sunday school teacher said, we came from dust and when we die we'll go back to dust and it looks to me like somebody under my bed is either coming or going. (laughs) It's amazing to me the way kids see things and the way they relate it to the things they've learned from the Bible. prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. In other words, give me a guarantee that I'm going to heaven when I die. Please do that. That's who we are. And we go to thinking sometimes, what we say a couple, three weeks, all these sermons in the last... Six or seven sermons have been about stuff like this. And we have a tendency to forget who we are. So this is a reminder today of what God says we are. But I'm going to tell you something else. You're going to see it it's kind of sifting through these words just how special we are and we need to know about that too there may be some things you learned today from the things I show you that you didn't know about and I hope you do it said in don't have to turn there you can start turning to Acts chapter 1 if you want to that's where we'll start But in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now look, it says in Matthew chapter 3, that Jesus was walking toward the Jordan River and John was there baptizing, John the Baptist, and he asked John to baptize him. And John said, no, 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 you don't understand. I've come here to tell everybody about you and who you are. I don't need to be baptizing you, you need to baptize me. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, no, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it proper. And nobody ever started a ministry until they were purified. And I'm starting my ministry and I want to be baptized just like they did way back before I was even in existence. And so John baptized them. And they saw this Spirit of God come and light on Jesus just like a dove would. Now, it's my understanding that jesus did not do miracles until he had the holy spirit and i'll show you scripture to prove to back that up i've heard people make conjecture about him playing in the sandbox when he's a little kid about doing miracles in front of the other kids he didn't do it y'all he was just like you and me he was raised just like you and my, you and i was But he saw and got proof himself and everybody that was there at the baptizing that God, his Father, put the Holy Spirit in him. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never came to anybody permanently. It came for a job or for a short time for them to get something done for God and then it went back to heaven. A Holy Spirit is a part of God himself. It's his nature that at Pentecost he started placing inside a Christian when he believed. And it stays in you as a Christian forever. It never leaves. It says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You remember that? It's the first time I recollect ever, anywhere in the Bible it mentioning that Jesus was ever led by the Spirit. This is the first time. And what's the the first thing that happened? Just as soon as he was preparing himself to have this three-year ministry that he was going to have here on this earth, the Spirit takes him to the wilderness, makes him fast for 40 days where he's in a weakened condition, and the weakest he ever was, Satan comes to him then and tries to tempt him into following him. And he tells him three times what he'll give him if he will. And essentially he gives Jesus the whole world. And Jesus won't listen to it. He said no, and he gave scripture. And Satan left him. And James, the brother of Jesus, in the book of James, says this is the way we fight Satan. There are people who in some denominations believe that you can bind Satan. You can't bind Satan. That's not biblical. All you have to do with Satan is say no and he'll leave. But Jesus from that time on was indwelt by the Holy Spirit permanently and the first miracle he ever did was putting changing the water to wine at Cana at the wedding. Now in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 this is Jesus when he came back to earth right before, he stayed 40 days and right before he went up into the clouds and left the earth this is what he said. The last thing he said verse 8 But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now there's, there's authority and there's power and there's Holy Spirit. They're all the same thing. And when we receive the Holy Spirit permanently inside of us, a part of God and His nature, It's also power to do anything we need to do, and it's also authority that gives us the right to do anything that God calls us to do. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, While they beheld him, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. That's proof that the last thing that he wanted to get across to us was this. When you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, you have power. We'll look at something else. So in order to do the things that Jesus did, everything Jesus did, you've got to have the Holy Spirit like he had it, and you've got to have power. You who are believers, and I believe there's everybody in the room as far as I know, you've already got it. So everything you need to be equipped to do what Jesus wants you to do, you got it already. Turn to John chapter 14. It's back to the left just a little bit. John chapter 14. In verse 10, Jesus is speaking. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He wants to make sure that they understand that he came to the earth representing God the Father. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. See, he bearing witness that he has the God inside of him in the form of the Holy Spirit. He doeth the works. All the miracles that Jesus did, he's here saying, testifying, that God is actually the one that did all that, that he didn't do it. And he infers, and we'll see it, that that God is the one that can do the works that you do and that I do, that he's actually the one that does it. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. He said, if you don't believe that I'm from the Father, look at what I'm doing, and believe because of what I'm doing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 12, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Now stop right there and listen to me. You see what Jesus is saying. Whatever he's done, you can do too. As a Christian, you can do everything Jesus did. And he's making that point clear. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and look at the next sentence, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. What he's saying here is you have the Holy Spirit. You've got the power, you've got the authority. You've got God living inside of you. And what God did through Jesus, he can do through you. All he's got to do is for you to know that he's calling you to do it. And you can do greater things than Jesus did because he's sitting at the throne and the right hand of God and telling you through your Holy Spirit that's in you what you need to be doing. So in a sense, like he was working for God, we're working for Jesus. He's given us the power, and then he tells us what to do. So he says, I will tell you to do greater things than I did. Please believe this, folks. There's only two or three people I know that I have ever heard preach these sentences right here, these verses. Where God is telling you this is the way it is. Preachers, as a rule, don't preach this. Charles Stanley in Atlanta and Jeffries in Dallas is the only two preachers I have ever heard preach this as Jesus says it. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, through you. That's what he's said. Whatever you ask, that's the reason that here, when you come to me and say, I have a burden about this, these people, they need this, they need that, they need this. Instead of the leadership of the church taking that and going and doing for them and getting the tears and all the hugs and the good feeling and get increased in the spirit by what we do for them, you get that. And we tell you, you do whatever God called you to do to help them out. And whatever that costs you, you come here next week and tell us and we'll write you out a check. You know what happens? People all over this room are doing things for people and growing in spirit like you wouldn't believe. They don't go to their leadership in the church and let them get all the goodies. They do it themselves. I asked somebody a couple of weeks ago, within the last two weeks, they said it's time to help so-and-so. I said, What do we need to do? And they said, I think we need to do this. Well, it's their burden. God gave them that burden, and they told us, and that's what we did. We did for that person what they told us to do. And that's the way it ought to be done. Because each one of us has a call from God to the fact that we were created to good works, to doing these things for people that need them. Every one of us, not just the leaders of a church. And so many churches now today don't even help people. To the extent that we are having a problem here, that for after all these years, for people who have come and asked us to help them, there's nobody much asking us to help them anymore. You know Why? Because we've got a government up there that's sending them so many checks. Every time they figure somebody needs something, they run ahead and send them a check so nobody looks to Jesus anymore or the church. They look to the government. Ronald Reagan said the worst nine words that were ever uttered is, hello, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. How can, I mean, I've asked the question. Does the government say Jesus is here to help you? Do they ever point a finger toward Jesus or God? Nope. 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 Why? Because they've got your money and they're misusing it. God never gets any credit at all for anything the federal government does. In Luke chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going gonna, gonna to remind you of the story. We preached on it here several weeks ago. Is when Jesus sent out the disciples, two by two, in a ministry. He gave them the power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. That's the two things he gave them the power to do. And they did that. They healed people. And they cast demons out. And when they all came back together, they were all rejoicing and slapping each other on the back. They were so happy and proud because the satanic world was subject to them. It was doing what they told the demons to do. They had power over demons. And nobody had ever had power over demons until that time. And when Jesus came to them and saw what they were doing, he said, guys, let me tell you something. If you're going to boast about anything, if you're going to brag about anything that you've been able to do, don't brag about having authority and power over the demon world. Brag that your names are written in heaven. Now let me tell you something, folks. From from Jesus' own mouth, and he speaks for God. So you can assume anything Jesus said came from God. From his own mouth, he said, The miracles that I send you to do, that I have equipped you to do, are not as important as the fact is that your name is written in heaven. The most important thing we need to know as Christians is our name was written in heaven. Now there's something that maybe nobody's ever said to you. Maybe you hadn't ever thought about it before. These disciples that came back from their ministry after they had been given power by Christ to heal sick and to cast out demons, these guys weren't born again. They weren't Christians. Jesus' disciples, none of them were born again until after Jesus died. Maybe Peter, when Jesus looked across the fire at him after he had forsaken him after the rooster crowed, it says Peter left very sorrowfully. He might have been converted at that point, but that was just hours before Jesus went to the cross. When Peter and and John came running to the tomb the next morning, it said they looked in the tomb and Peter turned and ran back to go tell the disciples and John saw the wrap that was around Jesus' head folded next to where Jesus had been laying in the tomb and he remembered that Jesus told him, I'll rise again in three days. Maybe John got it at that point. But what I'm trying to say to you is, when he told these guys, rejoice because your names are written in heaven, they're not born again yet. The only reason they can be born again is when they understand the gospel and believe it is because they had been selected by God before the foundation of the earth and their names were already written down in the Lamb's book of life. Remember, and this is something we need to understand, I need to understand it, you need to understand it, that before I was born again, before I walked the aisle, confessed my sins, and was baptized two weeks later, my name had been written down in heaven ever since the beginning of time. And yours too. John six forty four says, No man, no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. God came after you first. He came after me first. I didn't come after him. There was no church yet. There wasn't a church to 50 days after Jesus died when Peter preached at Pentecost. That's when people were saved and put into the church You've got that. you got the Holy Spirit. You've got a piece of God in you. you got power to do anything God calls you to do. And your names are written in heaven. Everything that Jesus had up to that point, you got it. You've got it. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It has confused me since I've been a little bitty kid. I've been reading it since I've been about four years old and could read, or five, or whatever age I was when I learned to read, because it was read to me by my beginning Sunday school teacher because it's one of those things that wows little kids, so you want to get their attention in beginners. You read them stuff like this, and it never gets off their mind. The 17th chapter of Matthew, in uh, verse 20. Because see, when those disciples came back, there was one guy they couldn't get the demon out of, and this is about that story. And he came to Jesus and he said, look, I tried to get your disciples to get the demon out of my son. They couldn't do it. We talked about it three or four weeks ago. And Jesus said unto them, they asked him, they came to him in private after they got, they didn't want to embarrass themselves in front of the crowd. So they waited until it's just them and Jesus. And they said, why couldn't we get the demon out of this, this man's boy? Verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, you didn't believe enough. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as the grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall move. You can speak to a mountain, and it will move. In another place it said you can make it slide off in the ocean if you want to. But God's got to have to want it done. Because when I was a little kid I tried to speak to a dirt ball and it wouldn't move nowhere. And I figured if I could move a mountain, God said I could, I might ought to be able to move a dirt ball but it wouldn't move unless I thumped it. But I had to find out something in all these years of reading the Bible. God's got to want it done, not you, God. And then he can use you because he's equipped you to do anything like this. Jesus did all kind of stuff like this. Stopped storms, spoke to a storm. It said when he was asleep in the boat, you know, and they woke woke him up and said, don't you care that we might die? And it says he spoke to the storm like a person would to a dog just barking. And what he says... I can't remember the words they got in the King James, be thy steel" or something like that. But what he said was hush. Just like you say to your dog, hush. And the storm just quit. Ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it'll move and nothing shall be impossible under you. Do you hear that? Nothing is impossible to you that God tells you to do. You've got it, just like Jesus had I'm not reading this out of context. I'm giving all of us, me included, a chance to check up on just how much faith I got. How much faith have I got? Because I tell you, I'm amazed at some people in the Bible. And I'm not talking about Jesus. Jesus had all faith in the world, he was totally and 100% obedient to his Father God. But just to bring something to your attention in the eighth chapter of Acts, Philip is sitting there and it says, The angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise and go. Down south on the road to Gaza. Verse 20, that's verse 26. Verse 27, the next verse, the first words in the next verse, and he arose and went. He got up and went. So, what do you need besides what God has already given us? What do you need that you have to come up with? A willingness to do these things we just saw that you got to believe do you believe that God can do through you what he wants you to do if you believe that then all you got to have is a willingness Philip had that the angel said to he's sitting there minding his own business and the angel said to him arise and go south on the road to Gaza it was 45 miles to Gaza I don't know where you know about it. He walked 45 miles and he didn't know where he was going. He was just on the road that the angel told him to get on. And when he got down there and saw the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot, the Spirit of God then told him, go up to the chariot and talk to the guy. Now it turns out the guy that was in the chariot was sitting there resting. He had his driver and the chariot with him. And he was reading scriptures. Now, how he got a hold of Scripture, I don't know, but he's reading Isaiah. Those people didn't have Bibles back then. So where he got a piece of Scripture, I don't know. But he's sitting up there reading. And Philip goes up to the chariot and asks him, says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading the book of Isaiah. Do you know what you're reading? He said, no, how could I know unless somebody told me? And it said, Philip explained what it meant to him And he was telling in the book of Isaiah about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, but I believe, what then would keep me from being baptized? He said, there's water right there. There must have been by a branch or a creek or something. And Philip went and baptized him. Then it said, and most people miss this. They get so caught up in... In that deal, that a man would walk forty-five miles, not even knowing where he's going. But look, Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldeans. He didn't know where he was going either, and he took everything with it. This guy was by himself, and it says that he disappeared out of the Ethiopian eunuch's sight and appeared, reappeared, twenty-eight miles up on the coast just disappeared and appeared. We got miracles all around us. But there's something that the Bible didn't tell you. You look up church history, you can find out when Philip talked to this Ethiopian eunuch because Candace was the queen of Ethiopia. And so that's in history books. And this guy who was the treasurer number two in command under the queen of Ethiopia. You can figure out when he was there. And the whole country of Ethiopia was considered a Christian country two years after this happened. The whole country was made a Christian country and one of the few in that day that the whole country was Christian because one little deacon by the name of Philip minding his own business was told arise and go down on the road to Gaza and he went. You never know what you're going to do, how it's going to wind up in history. You never know when you say something to somebody to cause them to believe in Jesus Christ what that's going to wind up to be. You just don't know. And all Philip had, he had everything that we've talked about. He's got every, he had everything you got. But he had a willingness to do for God too. So much so that he just dropped what he was doing and would go do what God told him to do. We got to have a willing spirit. On top of what God gives us, we got to have a willing spirit. I said last week, God is not obligated to show you anything in this scripture if he knows you're not going to believe it when he shows it to you. He knows not to waste his time. And we saw in Matthew where those people who saw the miracles believed on him, but he didn't pay them any attention because he knew the heart of man. Didn't nobody have to tell him what man is like because he knew about what men were like. And he didn't believe them. We have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the one that's inside of you. That's how much power you got. There's only one part of God that's the Holy Spirit, and it's the same one that's in every Christian. It's the same power. No different. Jesus is in heaven directing... And guiding through our Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. Do you communicate with God that way? Do you know about that? Do you realize that that is the potential that you have? Do you know that God could just like Philip could send an angel or the Holy Spirit at any time and tell you to go do something? Now, it goes without saying, this is the one thing, the thing that Satan is more afraid of than anything else in the whole world is a born-again believer that knows he's got the Holy Spirit in him and understands that that Holy Spirit can tell him what to do that will satisfy God. Because, see, he's not going to flounder around and make all kinds of mistakes. He's going to be doing what Hebrews calls good works, not dead works. Dead works is what you choose to do for yourself that you think that God's going to be pleased with. You don't want to do that. You want to wait till God tells you. And Satan is trying to separate us from that whole idea. Some of you have heard me before. The guy that started Salvation Army, one of the greatest evangelistic tools that has ever been in the world. In 1899, before 1900, was asked, what do you think you're an important person? He was back then. Very, very well thought of. What thing do you think the church is going to have to deal with in 1900 and through the next 100 years? He said, well, I can tell you one thing. They'll have to learn to operate without the Holy Spirit. And he said, asked, what do you mean by that? He said, nobody's talking about it. And nobody, I was born in 1942, nobody's ever preached the Holy Spirit to me. And you see, I've read you some of the most important statements in the scripture right out of the mouth of Jesus about the Holy Spirit and how it works in each one of us. Why would nobody want to tell you that? Why would no preacher want to tell you that? In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30, Jesus says, "My yoke is easy, my burden is light." My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I've had God ask me. I say, "Lord, why are you making things so tough for me? Why are you doing the tough things? I didn't tell you to do that." My burden is light. He told me, "It's not hard when you work for me." why are you making it so tough? Well, I mean, you know, I've been in church and they, people talk about it and preachers are saying this. what No, 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 no. Listen to me. You were created, Ephesians says, to do things. They call good works. That's the reason God created you. That was his plan. And he loved Jesus so much because Jesus was his son and did every single thing without exception that he told him to do. Why wouldn't he want a bunch of other people to love like he did Jesus that does what he tells them to do? And that's us, that's me and you. And for every one of us that is led by the Spirit to be like Jesus, God can love them like he does Jesus. That's the reason he's doing what he's doing. That's the reason he gives instructions to us to be like Jesus. It's no wonder Satan wouldn't tell you that because he's trying to undermine what God is doing with us because what does God do except with people? Yeah, he makes some storms and all that kind of stuff, but that's to deal with people. God is in the people business, Jesus is in the people business, and you and I got to be in the people business. And what God calls you to do will be about the people business, something about somebody. That's not my message. That's God's message. I've read you everything that he said. Straightforward, doesn't even need interpretation. And I'm here to tell you, you've got everything you need to do every single thing you ever read that Jesus did. So I found myself having to look at me. Well, what are you doing, Joe Clark? What are you doing for God right now? How much willingness do you have? How willing are you in case he calls you to do something? Even if some small, silly thing, you do it. And I thought about something that came to my mind maybe 60 years ago, I don't know, maybe 70 years ago, I don't know. But I know this. You get a little kid, something like Hannah's children back there, and you put them up on the stairs or put them up on the back of a truck or something, and you tell them jump off, you'll catch you. You better be ready to catch them. I mean, they'll bail off on you. You know that. If you know anything about a kid, you know that. Let them get 20 and tell them to jump, you'll catch them. No, <laughs> no, nah. nah. they're not going to do that. Why? Because they don't believe you. They don't have faith. When you're young, you got faith. And as you get older, Satan goes to working on you, and you don't believe anymore like you did. I'll never forget that my daddy and two of his other older brothers were together one day with the younger brother, one of the younger brothers, and they had told him he could put corn stalks under his arm and jump out of the barn loft and he'd fly. He got corn stalks, he put them under his arm, jumped out of the barn loft, broke his right leg. He didn't fly. And in their 40s and 50s, those brothers were still laughing about how dumb Uncle Mike was. Because as you get older, you have to fight to keep your faith. You have to fight to stay believing because things get weirder and weirder and weirder. And you don't want to do those things but that's what God, we're a peculiar people. When God calls you to do something weird, what do you do? You do it. But what will they think about me? They'll be impressed if you're really weird because he said we're a peculiar people. We're different and they need to know we are. Now I don't believe you're going to save souls jumping out of the barn loft, and breaking your leg. I don't mean that. But you understand what I'm saying. You're equipped to do anything God called you to do. Now let me ask you something. Look back in your past. You've been equipped ever since you've been a Christian. What have you done? What have you done? What would that do to change your willingness to what you do next? That is God's message for you and me this morning. A reminder to look at us. We are nothing but dust. And God took a very common handful of dust and gave it enough power to do anything that his son Jesus did. I'll leave it there. You either believe it or you don't. Let's pray. Father, as the disciples told Jesus, help our faith. Help us to believe. Help us not to be skeptical about the things of yours. And Lord, we'll praise you for that. Don't let us get caught up with all the things that are going on around us and the naysayers and the people who don't believe in you and the people who don't have faith and the people who won't do anything for anybody but their self. Teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.